Okay, you may not know this about me, but I worked hard on some side jobs um, about a year ago, like stump grinding, doing whatever I can to earn enough money to buy a steel chainsaw. And I absolutely love putting it to work. Some of you can testify. You've been around me. Um, oh, my. Uh, when the wind picks up, I just brace myself for the joy set before me. Right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The other night, Kyler came home. He said, I barely ducked under a tree that was over the road. And I was sitting in a, in a house. We had just served dinner and was doing Bible study with a group of young men, teenage guys. And I said, who's with me? And within 10 minutes, we had it loaded up. We had the saw. I had a, my hand-me-down Carhartt jacket from Justin. I had my brand new my work boots from Christmas on. And it was, it was awesome. We rolled up, made quick work. I had in the back, uh, like this theme, of, it was kind of a blend of all the superhero themes in the back of my head. As I was it was so amazing. And so uh, soon traffic was flowing again because that, you know, that was a big concern. There were three cars that were held up by this. So yeah, it's a big deal in a dead end neighborhood like that to get it moving quickly. Local sources report that they haven't seen me grinning like that in a really long time. <laughs> I was like, ooh, yeah, that was really nice. So pull me aside sometime. We can talk about the chainsaw, 20 inches. Well, anyway, we'll just, we can talk more later. But of course, we just spoken last week about how everything that, is, you know, all the possessions just fade and spoil and rust and get stolen and that sort of thing. Um, but we do enjoy certain, certain things, certain possessions. Is that wrong? I don't, I don't think so. We enjoy relationships, accomplishments. They keep us grinning for a while. I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. That new car smell, that new friendship, enduring friendship. I think God likes those things too. You know, like, uh, like he kissed me or she said yes. That new husband smell. <laughs> Let that one settle just for a second there. Yeah. Well, life has its joys and its sorrows, and I think it's perfectly fine to enjoy the highs and grieve the lows in their season. Do grieve the lows. But for the rescued person, the one who's been bought back from the slave market of sin, start raising your hand if this starts to apply to you. The one who's been forgiven and called a child of God, a child of God the Father through allegiance to Jesus the Son, the one filled with the Holy Spirit, for that person, there is joy. Running like a river, it, sometimes it's underground, but it's that underground river that you can just tap into, the aquifer, right? Joy that's ready to be tapped and ready to refresh. And the truth is, God wants you to be happy, to be joyful. He wants this. In fact, he expects it. He commands it. Philippians 4.4, 4, you're going to have to say it with me because you don't believe half of what I just said. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He, he wants it for you. He expects it from you. He commands it. Jeez, well, how do you do that? Well, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, where our text today is an ironic section about joy in the midst of trials, joy beyond words for the follower of Jesus, which extends to all seasons of life. I mean, all, if it, 
if it extends to your trials, why wouldn't it extend to your blessings as well? Hmm. So it's all about the, the joy and abundant, overflowing life of happiness that God has for you. Would you be interested? <laughs> let's, let's look at our, our passage last week because that's the buildup for the, the therefore, right? Blessed be, you can say it with me, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again according to his great mercy, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, unto an inheritance that is imperishable, unspoiling, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now show me your grumpy face after that. No, there's none of that. Now let's look at this next passage, the one I said is kind of ironic. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, faith more precious than gold that, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, church, right? We're not 2,000 years ago, we're now. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a party that will be when we together celebrate the overcoming nature of your faith, your allegiance to Jesus. Where you held on. You kept your hand in his. Fast forward with me. Think, think ahead. You did it. It was hard. But at the revelation of Jesus Christ, your faith, more precious than gold, is just going to be celebrated. Joy inexpressible. Your faith and love for Jesus, even though you don't see him now, will be revealed when Jesus is revealed and all of heaven is going to shake with that noise. Yes, they did it. They overcame. That was tough. That was close. They did it. Praise Jesus. Even now, words aren't enough to express the happiness when we realize the story we're in, the rescue we've been a part of, and, and the salvation that awaits us in the end. We, just, we don't really have words. Sometimes it's hard to talk about. This we have to sing and we have to share and we have to figure this out together because it's, it's inexpressible in some ways. But when that final salvation comes, words won't begin to explain the glory. Did you, did you look at that passage? Oh my gosh. It's going to, your faith is going to be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Unspeakable joy. But as you know, there's competition, isn't there? 
competition for your imagination, kind of what story I'm in and how is this all flowing. Competition for your attention, you know that, right? There's a billion dollar industry in competition for your attention. Competition for our affection, competition for our souls. It's, it's not just, a, it's just, just a flow, there's, there's competition. But we will be, or will we be, celebrating the overcoming nature of your allegiance to Jesus on that day when Jesus is revealed. Or will we just be celebrating your bare escape from the fire still smelling like smoke? Because life is a crucible and it comes with tests. It comes with tests. So, yeah, let's, let's think about that. In the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, it finishes with, and lead us not into the test, the trial. But deliver us from the evil one. Why does he think he needs to say that? Because there's, there's two plans at odds with each other for the trial that you're going through right now and the trials that you will go through. You know there are competing desires for your outcome here, right? The enemy of your soul wants to use this to destroy your faith, corrode it, and send it away. He wants to just destroy that. And God is, is just wanting you to go through this trial to prove your faith genuine. Yes, you did it. You kept your hand in mind. Yes, you did it. You, you maintained your allegiance to Jesus. The same trial has two opposing cheering sections. All of heaven is for you coming through this with your faith intact, with your allegiance to Jesus intact. And all of the kingdom of darkness is saying, oh, this should ruin her. This would be enough. It's been enough in the past. It sent her on a tailspin for years. We can do this one more time and we'll see how this works out. And God's like, I think she's got this. Of course, God knows even more than that. When Peter's talking about these various trials, um, he seems to be using words that talk about more of mental duress, like you're under, under some mental strain, uh, opposition to the faith. That, that you, you might experience this. If, if you're not stuck in a comfortable Christian corral, you're probably going to experience some pushback on your allegiance to Jesus. Because they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. Why would you think that way? Why would you trust like that? You'll sense the, the struggle, the alienation, the separation, the kind of the arm's length because of your allegiance to Jesus. And, and this opposition that Peter's talking about definitely did extend in years to come to physical harm and that is the case around the world for followers of Jesus. But it's curious that in the midst of these trials, Peter is describing what is actually already happening. Did you catch that? We're not even in a command section of the passage yet. We're not at a point where he's saying, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Those are what are called imperatives. You must do, right? We're just in a set of fancy other word, indicatives, like this is what's true about you. The indicatives in almost all of the gospel and all the New Testament start out with just this is what's true with you, so therefore fall in line with what's actually true about you. And look what he's saying. 
Though, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, but you rejoice in this. You do. Do you? Yes, you do. He's, he's not demanding a response of joy. He's describing it here. So I think even though this is, this is a matter of what he's describing here, I think we can take some cues from it. Unless each one of you are like, yeah, every time a trial comes, I'm good. I love this. Bring on the conflict. I love a good test of my faith, right? Just put me in an uncomfortable... No, we're not like that. So let's, let's try to build some ideas out of this. And I'm just going to call this a happiness guide, mostly because I want the follow-up emails. Because some of you are like, no, God doesn't want me to be happy. Let's look at two aspects of this passage um, that, that we know now brought them joy, okay? And, and this, is, this is what you can do. It's kind of a guide to your own happiness here. Guard your faithfulness. You, you may not know that the word that we translate faith in the New Testament, it's like faith or faithfulness depending on the, depending on the context. Faith or faithfulness. It's a real active kind of belief, right? It's a, it's a believing loyalty, not just a, not just a mental assent, you know, like, oh yeah, I believe. Show me a list. Yep, 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 yep. I believe all that. Okay, I have faith. Well, that's interesting because you haven't done anything with it, so how do we know that's for sure, right? So believing loyalty, this, this faith or is faithfulness, um, it, should, it should take on the character of both of those things. And faithfulness doesn't sound like a good time, does it? It sounds like plodding. Faithfulness. Hmm. It sounds like taking care of responsibilities. Faithfulness sounds more like staying true to your spouse, even though there's something more alluring and in the possibilities beyond, right? Fidelity I learned this a couple of weeks ago listening to a book. Fidelity is boring. Fidelity is boring, but it's precious. Ask anyone who's experienced infidelity and you say, no, it's precious. Fidelity is boring, but it's, it's precious. Isn't that all you wanted from that person was just faithfulness? That's what I wanted. Just wanted faithfulness. Infidelity is alluring, different, spicy, exciting, and ends in complete disaster. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's spicy, amazing, alluring, and it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Fidelity is boring. Faithfulness is long-suffering, and it's precious to God. Absolutely precious. And God will honor that faithfulness when Christ appears. So you have to be on, on task guarding that. Craig Keener notes about this passage. He says, the imperishable inheritance that we talked about in chapter one, verse four, the imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, is worth far more than perishable gold, which we look at in this passage. Gold may endure testing by fire, but faith that is tested by fire proves far more permanent and will be honored once Christ returns. He says, this is because believers were bought not with perishable silver or gold. That comes in the future here in verse 18. Valuable merely outwardly, that's in chapter 3, verse 3, but with the far more precious blood of Christ, verse 19 
of chapter 1. So Peter's building this case that your faith is pure and beautiful and it needs to continue to get purified because you were bought at that price. It's worth far more than gold. I want to tell you a story, uh, mostly read it, that happened centuries before Jesus was even born. And it, it was uh, when the people of God were sent away from their land, uh, you know, from, from the, the land of Yahweh, where he, he had his people. They were sent away to Babylon. Some of you know this story. Some, some young men were slaves, but they were tasked with serving in the administration of this foreign king who was awful. They, they served the king, but they worshipped only the creator God, Yahweh, as revealed in, in Scripture. They guarded their faithfulness to Yahweh with their lives. And when they wouldn't worship the king and the image and the, the empire, uh, they got called out by other officials. And I've abbreviated this from Daniel chapter 3, 8 through 27. They said, basically, oh, king, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you. And they don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, you don't worship me? You don't? He said, is that true that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Okay, now, if you're ready, when you hear the music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, all well and good. (laughs) No harm, no foul. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Oh, you ask. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, Our God, Yahweh, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But he'll deliver us from your hand, it says, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we'll not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against them. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them up. I'll bet those knots hurt. These guys were mirroring the rage of their king, right? And they're the strongest men around. And they, he said, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And so these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those mighty men who threw the three men in. And these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, didn't we throw three men into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered, but I I see four men, unbound, walking around in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the, the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. 
You got that right? Come out and come here. And then they came out from the fire and the king's officials gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Now can you just imagine with me the smile on their face? Now it was traumatic. No, nobody wants to go through that initial phase of being bound and thrown. And that's traumatic without a doubt. But I'm just imagining their, their smile. It's like, wow. They passed through the fire, through the trial, smelling like roses or whatever cologne they used before they waltzed in. And Jesus was with them in the fire. They held on. They did it. They stayed true through the fire, through the test. Paul, the apostle, as he's writing to his church in Corinth, a very troubled church, he asked the question, you know, how are we going to build, how are you going to build on top of the foundation that we laid? We laid a, a proper foundation. We sang about that. The love of Christ is the foundation upon which we build. And if you build on that, he says, you have to be careful. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And according to the grace God gave to me, we've, we've laid this foundation like a skilled master builder and someone else is building on it. And let each one take care on what he builds with. Uh, but what are you building your life, your church? I think generally it's the church that they're talking about because it's the foundation of the message in the church, but, but it gets to be kind of individual as well. He says, let each one take care on how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, the day will reveal it. Each one's work will be manifest. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work has been, um, that's been built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So that's the gold, silver, and costly stones. They just got better, right? But if what you build on is wood, hay, or straw, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as one who just freshly came out of the fire. Like that summertime grilling accident, you know, when the hair just curled up all over everything, <laughs> you know? You just kind of walk out smelling like bad barbecue. But you walk out. The church, the church will survive. Your, your allegiance to Jesus will survive, but but like, like an accident, kind of. So we have to guard our faithfulness. It's the treasure that you bring to Jesus. So here it is, my faithfulness. It's purer than gold. And also, we need to guard your heart. Now, I'm not going to say unqualified, trust your heart but guard your heart. Watch over your loves. Keep an eye on the things that capture you. Wow, look at that. Shiny things. Trinkets, baubles, 
infidelities. Respond in love to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. And when he's revealed, you'll have the prize in full. But, But we love him now because he first loved us. If you're struggling with that, I understand. If you're struggling to come up with love for Jesus, I understand. So don't. Just respond to the love he has for you. Okay. I can imagine on the cross, arms spread out, just a big I love you. Okay. And every lover knows that when they say the words I love you, they're expecting something like, thanks. I believe it. Or what? I love you back. So you don't have to create, you don't have to generate this love for Jesus. Just look into the eyes of Jesus and say, I love you back. We love him because he first loved us. That's the initiate. And we need to then just respond back. So don't trust your heart, but guard it because there's competitions for it. Competition. Companies are paying big money to find out who you are and what you're like so they can coerce your desires. No one wants to hear that. I made that decision on my own. Really? Okay. Yeah. Did you know, as of 2018, Facebook, our dear friend, had been tracking up to 52,000 different traits for you individually. You didn't even know you were that complex, did you? 52,000 traits, likes, dislikes, emotions, times of day you were more, you had this emotion, how you experienced this, where your mouse hovers when you're clicking on, th- I mean, they just, they know 52, just 52,000, it's not that much, right? Now you can tell your spouse or your friend, see, I am complex. I'm not simple. I am interesting. But before Facebook was profiling you, and that's just one of our beautiful software companies, right? Um, in order to take advantage of the desires. And Side note, do you know why all those things are free? Because what's the, who's the, what's the product? You're the product. Yeah, okay, just, I just want to make sure you knew that, that. It's free because you're the product that they're selling. If I wanted to know what time 20-year-old males in Denmark got the most thirsty... I could pay Facebook and they'd tell me and I would advertise at that time my drink of choice to those 20-year-old males, right? I mean, you're, you're the product. Congratulations. You knew you were valuable and interesting. Oh my gosh, that's great. But, but long before they were looking to take advantage of you, your enemy, Satan, was prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So there's competition for your heart. Competition. So guard your heart. Don't trust it, but guard it, because Satan is the, s- the best student of human behavior and is happy to turn the test that you're experiencing toward his goal of destroying your faith and faithfulness. So just know that. I, had to, I have a hard time convincing someone else that they're not the one that's making these choices, making these, building these desires. I'm like, you're, you're being played. Nobody wants to hear that. You're in a silo of your own making and all you can hear is the echo. And, no, I'm not. I'm thinking, okay, you're thinking original thoughts and yes, you're the only one that's ever thought this. Yes, I get it. But if you can just 
think with me, he's happy to turn that test into the goal of destroying your faith. You'll hear things like, how is it that you believe God wants you to be happy when he's letting this happen to you? (laughs) I don't know, I wouldn't trust that. Are you sure he has your best interest in mind? Oof, yeah, it's just kind of, I'm just struggling, says Satan to you. I'm just struggling with that claim because, I don't know, things are going kind of rough. Ever since you said yes to Jesus, things have been gotten, getting kind of rough. Maybe you should just go back. The truth is the Father loves you. He invites you to become family through allegiance to King Jesus, and you can trust his heart for you. Wide open arms, You can trust his heart for you. So keep your eye on your deep longings and then look to Jesus to fulfill them. C.S. Lewis would say that uh, your desires aren't so deep that God can't fulfill them. They're just too shallow that you don't bother to go to him. Like you're satisfied with just little dopamine hits on your Instagram scroll on your notifications on your phone. That's all you needed. I just need a little bit of ping, 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 ping. Oh, oh, yeah. oh look at that. Hey, I think your phone's, I think someone wants you. I think someone needs your response, so go ahead and check your phones real quick. The, dop- no, the dopamine response, the, 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 hey, I think I got everything I need right here. Just, just buzz, buzz, buzz. Keep an eye on your longings. God is not scared that you have too many deep desires. His concern is that you don't want enough, that you're satisfied with just the little things. He can handle your deep longings. In that, in that way, trust your heart, right? It was unqualified before. It was qualified before. It's unqualified now. Trust those deep, deep longings and then look to Jesus to satisfy them. When you, when you say, there's no way he could take care of, satisfy me in this season of life because it, Let's go through. I can show you people who are in a similar situation to you. Okay, I'm, but I'm single. And, okay, well, let's look to people who are single who are satisfied in Jesus. Yeah, but I have a broken family. Okay, well, then let's... I, had, I have too much responsibility. And then we'll, we'll just... We'll go through the list. God can satisfy every longing that you've got. He wants you to be happy, filled with joy, which are basically synonyms in the Bible. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, can just be translated be happy in the Lord always. I, again, I say be happy. There's been a happiness-joy fallacy, like, the, like they're opposed to each other or something. Um, I just read a recent book, Randy Alcorn um, wrote a book called Happiness, and I avoided it for years because I'm like, I'm supposed to be grumpy for Jesus, for goodness sakes, you know, I'm supposed to be serious. And then he makes the case that's like, no, 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 those are just interchangeable. Just look through the Bible. Here's 500 examples. The book's this thick. Um, 500 examples of this. Commenting on this verse, Charles Spurgeon said, it's intended that we should be happy. That's the meaning, that we should be cheerful. C.S. Lewis says, it's a Christian duty for everyone to be as happy as he can. In this book, uh, Happiness, Randy Alcorn says, the command makes sense only if the God we love is happy. Is your God happy? If the gospel message we embrace and proclaim is happy, if heaven is a happy place, 
It makes sense if we understand that people long to be happy. And they won't turn to Jesus if they believe there's no happiness in him. But it's true. And, and happy, too. <laughs> the truth is all that matters, yes. And the truth is, he intends for you to be full of joy. Others will judge, says Randy Alcorn, whether there's happiness in Jesus by whether they see happiness in his followers. Hence, our happiness is indeed a Christian duty. But what an incredibly wonderful responsibility it is. He says it's like being required to eat mom's apple pie. Or lose. Can I get it? Can I get a witness? Amen, yeah. Uh, We're accustomed to thinking of duty as drudgery, not happiness. But a person's duty to love his or her spouse or to care for a son or daughter and a soldier's duty to defend his country when done with the right heart and perspective all brings satisfaction, contentment, and happiness. The passage commands us twice to be glad in God, a command with that carries with it the duty to obey, and when it's repeated, that expectation is intensified. Again, I say rejoice. Fortunately, when God commands us to rejoice, his Holy Spirit empowers us to obey. I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of followers of Jesus, and when their eyes light up, when they get the most excited is when they're talking about that one time when they partnered with God to do something valuable, that one time where they, I felt like God was asking me to do this. Tell me if I'm, if I'm picking, your, you know, picking that moment in you. You know, God, I think God wanted me to do this, and then I did it. And then I couldn't believe the joy I felt. Like, I've partnered with God, even if it was in some little way, some little intersection. Like, oh, that was amazing. I, amen? Like, wow, I think I'm obeying Jesus. And it's not like, I'm obeying Jesus. <laughs> if it is a good day. You know, like, no, it's just like the most exciting thing. But what if we could turn the intersection into the lane of traffic, right? Instead of just finding that one time, remember that one time, do you remember that one time in Mexico on that one corner where we did that one thing and we built that one house and we had that great time and Jesus met us there? I can't wait to get back to that intersection. Like, uh, it's available right now, Right? Guard your heart because the, the enemy is going to say, oh, you don't want to do that. And no, you do. Because obedience with, to Jesus is freedom and life and light. Wow. If our lives are not characterized, says Randy, by rejoicing, or if we've given up on happiness, we're missing out on what God intends for us. We must go to him and ask for his help and empowerment to find joy in him. Okay, Jesus, be the other one in the fire with me. Just come. Come into this trial. I want to find your joy. Jesus had said this, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So let me just close with our passage. It would make sense that you would read it with me. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
Hold on just a second. How many more things need to be said? Praise and glory and honor. What is that? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, be happy. God has done it. He is doing it. He will do it. Guard your faithfulness. Guard your heart. These are just a couple keys to happiness in a dark and anxious and depressed world in which you shine like stars. Right? 